to the Word this morning. Uh, so if you can make your way over to Revelation chapter 5 as we continue our study in the book of Revelation and in our series, Christ Revealed. Out of all the chapters I believe in the Bible, I think chapter 5 has to be one of the most amazing chapters, without a doubt, of Christ revealed. As, as being worthy of all worship in how he is revealed in this particular chapter. It reveals Jesus Christ as the central figure of everything in the universe. Everything. From beginning to end, on heaven and on earth, that Jesus is the central figure. And I, as I shared with you in the beginning, as we were starting the book of Revelation, that it is not about the sensationalism that will come about in the next chapter and onward about what's happening in the future, although we all want to know and we all want to see it and hear it, right? Through it all, everything revolves around Jesus. Even when we start in chapter 6, it is all about Jesus. When judgment comes about upon this world, it is all about Jesus. It, everything's revealed. Jesus is revealed throughout all of it. And so he is the central figure of everything. But this particular chapter just shows us Jesus Christ revealed from beginning to end. Now, I, I'm not taking away anything from God the Father or from God the Holy Spirit. But God the Son is what made it possible for man to be reconciled, bought back, accepted by God the Father. Now, I know they were all intertwined in how it all happened, but it was Jesus that left his throne to come to his creation so that he can buy me and you back to the Father. So in other words, the creator became like his creation to pay the price. And nobody else could pay that except him. So that the creator could once again have communion with his creation. And I just love it that, again, how God orchestrates it. Because this morning, at the end of the service, we, his creation, will have the opportunity to worship in communion with him. With God the Father, with God the Son, and with uh, and, and through the Holy Spirit. And so, Revelation chapter 5, let's read the whole chapter. And I saw the, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, seven or sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the, its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of, of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne 
and of the four living creatures. And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the, the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the uh, 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Father, please, Lord, by your spirit, help me to convey this message to my brothers and sisters. Give them ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. I will attempt to do the whole chapter um, in our time this morning. Uh, I really want to get to the, the communion part and so in, in, the, in verse 1, as he says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written outside and in the back, sealed with seven seals. As John has now been in, in, in heaven for one full chapter, basically, for us, now he notices something in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, speaking of God the Father. But had it been there? All that time? Had it already been there and John just hadn't noticed it? Because he's there and he's looking at everything all around and all the brilliant colors and, and all the, the stuff. And, and I was reminded even this morning as I'm driving over here and you see this rainbow and all the colors involved and how a couple of weeks ago we were looking at, at how the rainbow is not, is not an arc. It's, it's a complete circle and we only see half of it from our vantage point. From, but from heaven you see the full circle. From up in the sky if you're in a plane you see the... And so this morning I look at it as like half the promise. It's half the promises. There's a way more promises that God has promised to us, but we only see half of it on this side of heaven. But from heaven, man, we see the complete circle. So anyway, that was just a side note. I, I was just blessed this morning. But, but again, I'm sure his mind is just being getting blown and blown away as he's seen everything. And all of a sudden, he realizes that there's something in the right hand of of. of of the one who sits on the throne. I think it had been there all along. 
I just think he was caught up in everything else. And then it says, in his right hand was a scroll. And the right hand speaks of strength, because our God is strong. And he holds everything in his hands. And the word scroll, I thought it was interesting. The Greek word is biblion, a a roll, a bill, a book, a writing. It is where we get our word Bible from. Now, the focus here is now on the scroll. A scroll is, 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 a rolled, is a roll of papyrus or leather or parchment, depending on where you were at at that time of the world, which ancient writings were, were, were written upon. And it's, it's usually wrapped around a stick or two sticks, and it's, it's written horizontal. It's, it's to be read horizontally like this, not like this. Maybe if you're out heralding something, you would do it like this and, and speak to the people of what was on there. But to read a scroll like this, you would roll it out this way. And you would begin to, re- to read it, whether from right to left or from left to right, whichever it was. But a normal scroll like this with some writing was usually about 15 feet long. It's interesting, I was at a pastor's conference one day, and Josh McDowell was there, and, and he had brought this, this scroll, and I'm not kidding you, it was at least 15 feet, that he had, but it was still more. It was just huge. Anyways, and normally they are only written on the inside, and it's usually sealed with, with, with a piece of string and then wax on the knot. And nobody could open this scroll if it's a legal document especially. Nobody can open it without breaking the seal. And only the owner of that document can open the seal. But this was a little different. It says that it's written on the inside and on the outside. And, and, and again, some think because of that, it's probably a legal kind of document. And something that was so important like that would be wrapped like that, but also had more than one seal, more than likely seven. But this one is written on the back, uh, on, the, in, on the inside and on the, on, on the outside. But normal, normal kind of parchment or papyrus... The, the way they would make it, there was a smooth side and the rough side. So you wouldn't really use the rough, the, the, the back side. But this one, this one is, is complete. This one is full. It's important. Whatever is in there, whatever is written on there is super important. And it is fulfilled. It is filled up to the max. Most, like I said, had one seal, but this one had seven. And we run into the number seven a lot in this book. Even in this chapter, we've seen it already several times. And like I've said before, as we've been in the book of Revelation, the number seven speaks of fullness, speaks of perfection, and it speaks of completion or completeness. And so in verses two and three, he says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals, its seals? And no one in heaven, no one on earth, and no one underneath the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. <laughs> now, we don't know who this angel is, but many believe that it is Gabriel because he does do announcements like that. 
But we really don't know who it was. But it's a strong angel. And he issues a challenge to all of creation. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. And I like what one commentator said, possibly even in hell. He is saying, anybody, in heaven or in hell, can anybody open the scroll? Is anybody worthy? No. (laughs) No one is found worthy to open it. You see, only its rightful owner has the right to open up any kind of scroll like this, to break its seals. And nobody here in this scene could even look at it. And so John says, and so I wept much. This made John sad. It bummed him out so much that he begins to weep. And it's not just a little whimper, man. It is a sobbing. It is a, like almost a convulsing sobbing where, the, where, where you're just like, your chest is just like, ugh, there's this anguish that is going on in him. A loud wail. Almost uncontrollably, he is sobbing. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. There is no crying in heaven. But he's, he's a rookie, man. He's just there. He, he barely got there. He may, may not know that. But he is crying because this this proclamation goes out, who is worthy and nobody is worthy. And he's just like, what? Nobody? Nobody is worthy? It's, It's almost as if John knows that there's something in that scroll. There's something about that scroll. And that scroll needs to be opened. And not one person throughout all of eternity in heaven or on earth or under the earth is worthy to open it or even look at it. And I'm wondering if he's looking at that and he's just feeling like, man, all hope is gone. It is truly all over if nobody can do this. In one sense, that would mean that justice will not get its day in court. If that thing, if nobody can open that. In other words, this is hopeless. The bad guy wins and evil wins out. (laughs) And true justice cannot be had. You see, the scroll must contain something that makes right that at one point was forfeited, surrendered, given up, or lost. That is an important scroll and nobody is worthy to open it or even look at it. No one in heaven, on earth, under the earth is worthy of any of that. All of that means that no one who has ever been created, no created thing or no created being was worthy. And not even to come close to the scroll, much less open it. So why wouldn't John be crying? Why wouldn't he be in such anguish going, there's no hope for us. There's no hope for mankind if truly nobody is worthy to open it up. And so in verse 5, it says, But one of the elders <laughs> said to me, Do not weep. Stop your sniveling, fool. It may have not been like that. It sounds like Mr. Mr. T. Stop your, stop your sniveling. But nonetheless... He tells him, stop weeping. 
Behold the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. A glimmer of hope for him. As he sees all this magnificence, magnif- what, you know, all this majesty all around him. He sees it all. And as he's burdened and crying about what's happening, he is told, stop. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed. Stop crying. In Genesis 49, when Jacob was prophesying over his sons, he says this, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. You bow, he bowed down, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, that he, that to him, Shall that to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so Jacob prophesies over his son, Judah. And he says, out of Judah will come a ruler. And he will be as strong as a lion. And his kingdom will be everlasting. The interesting thing is, when you go into Matthew, we see that, uh, that, that, that Mary, I think it's Matthew, one of the genealogies. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes from the tribe of Judah. And so from the family of David, Jesus is the lion of Judah. And he is the root of David. In Isaiah eleven ten, it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, David's father, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. We are the Gentiles, guys. We, we get to experience all of this. So, so what makes him worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? He has prevailed. He has prevailed over death. He has overcome Now, remember, as we were going through the seven churches, at the end, Jesus says, and he who overcomes, I will, I will, I will. Jesus has overcome. He has prevailed. This is what gives him the right. (laughs) He is the only one who ever has prevailed like that. So what is the scroll? And why is he the only one worthy Well, before we get there, let us go back to the beginning. When God created man, he put man in charge of the garden, and he said, take care of it. Take care of it. And so God basically gave him the deed to the world, gave man the deed to the world. And as you know, in that story, Satan comes and deceives man. And at that that moment when he deceives man, when they sin, they basically handed over the, the deed of the earth to Satan. And he has been the ruler over this earth ever since. 
when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, Satan came and he tempted Jesus, it says, and in one of those temptations, he offers up the earth. He says, just bow down to me, Jesus. That's all you got to do, and I will give you back the earth. He's a lying snake, right? <laughs> Probably wouldn't have. But it was his to give. It was his to give because he is the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this age. So what's the big deal about this scroll? Could it be? Is it possible is there even a probability that this is the very title deed of the earth that is in the right hand of the Father? And it's sealed. He has held it for all this time. Even though it belongs to Satan, somebody, he, he, Satan couldn't even open it up. Some think, though, that... It could possibly be the Old Testament and the New Testament or some already fulfilled prophecy that is in the scroll. But that would be looking back and not forward. Others think that it's God's claim of divorcement against the nation of Israel, but there's no scriptural evidence for that. Or that it is God's sentence against the enemies of the church. Or that even it might be the book of Revelation and the few chapters that follow here. Or the few chapters. But most believe, and that's, this is who I stand with, most believe that it is the title deed to the earth. Because the coming of the tribulation, after the tribulation, when it ends, Jesus Christ will rule and reign over the earth once again. He will be the rightful owner, because he is the rightful owner. But it had been given up by man to the enemy. There's a beautiful picture of this in the book of Jeremiah. While Jeremiah the prophet was in prison, the children of Israel being taken captivity into Babylon, his cousin begged him, came to him and begged him to buy his property because his cousin knew that it wouldn't be worth much in a little while when everybody was gone. And God told Jeremiah, buy it. You buy it. Get the title deed, sign it, seal it, and hide it. So that it would be recorded where it was at. So that Jeremiah's heirs would be the ones to be able to break its seal. And to redeem the land that was rightfully his family's. And you can find that story in Jeremiah chapter 32. So how is Jesus worthy to take the scroll and open it? God owns the earth. <laughs> He's the creator of it all. He created it and gave it to his creation. And his creation gave it up to Satan, the prince of this world. God came back to the earth to buy it back with his blood. That's how he bought it back. And then he prevailed by beating death. It's interesting, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan was so happy because he thought, he can never buy it back because I just killed him. There is no rightful owner. I will become the rightful owner. It will be defaulted to me because I hold it. 
Man has given it to me and nobody can buy it back. And he knew that Jesus would be the only one. And when he killed him, he thought, done deal, it's all mine. But guess what? (laughs) He rose again. He rose again and he prevailed. He is the rightful owner. So check this out. The elder or the elder introduces the lion of the tribe of Judah to John. And as John turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of David, as he turns to see him, he sees the Lamb of God that was slain. What? (laughs) He was expecting to see this fierce lion, and he sees this lamb as though it had been slain, but it was standing when I looked, (laughs) that's what I saw. And it took me back to John chapter 1. It says, On the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he saw. Now, even though Jesus is the Lion of Judah, John sees him, and everybody else there sees him as the lamb, as though he had been slain. It speaks of his death, but the fact that he's standing up speaks of his resurrection and the victory that he had over all of this. But notice, notice Jesus here as the lamb, as though it had been slain. He is in heaven and he bears the marks. (laughs) He bears the marks of the torture and the crucifixion. He bears those marks for eternity. (laughs) When we see Jesus face to face, we will see the scars. He he, He will look like the lamb that had been slain, but he will be alive. He will be prevailing. And if you remember, after his resurrection, he still had the holes. He still had the piercings. He still had all of those things going on, and he carries that forever. In heaven. Oh, Jesus. For all eternity will carry those things as a reminder to us that he has bought us. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Jesus is indeed the lion, but he's also the lamb. He is a lamb. Here we see Jesus the way he came the first time as the lamb to pay the price for sin. And the way he is going to be the second time (laughs) as the lion who will judge unrepented man for his sin. So we see the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And then we see the lion who will judge man for his sin. He's all there. (laughs) It says, having seven horns. Horns in the scriptures always speak of authority and power. So this lamb has seven horns. The completeness of power is in Jesus' hands. It portrays Jesus. The lamb here is seen full and complete, powerful, omnipotent. The seven eyes 
on this lamb that we see speaks of the lamb's complete knowledge and wisdom. He sees everything perfectly, his omniscience. But it also tells us that it is the seven spirits of God, which takes us back to chapter 1 of Revelation. When, when we've seen that, we should know this by now. In Revelation 1.4, in Revelation 3.1, and in Isaiah 11.2, where it says the spirit of the Lord rests upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of, of, of understanding, the spirit of, of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The seven spirits of the Lord. The completeness of who He is. And here in verse 7, Then He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of Him who sits on the throne. He is worthy. Only Jesus is worthy to approach the throne, to approach the right hand of God and grab it out of His hand. No other created being was found worthy to take the scroll, but the Lamb is worthy. The Lamb is worthy because of His death and His resurrection and because He has prevailed. And not only did He redeem us, but He redeemed the world back to Himself. All the earth, everything is back to its rightful owner in this scene right here. And then in verse 8, now, when he had taken the scroll, the 24 living creatures, or the four living creatures and the four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The worthy one, the only one in all of heaven, all of earth, and all of under the earth, wherever that is, I'm sure it was an exciting time. All of a sudden, John's tears have, have turned to rejoicing, and I'm sure everything was just kind of going in slow motion. Surreal. Awesome. The Lamb takes the scroll from Him who sits on the throne. Now look at what begins to happen when that happens. I think this is one of the most amazing verses here. Look at what begins to take place. The Lamb takes the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down to worship before the Lamb. And we can read that and it's like, well, that's cool, man. I'm glad there's somebody to take the scroll. But I don't think we can grasp the, the severity of what this means except trying to explain it a little bit more. What the four living creatures and the 24 elders are doing here is huge. Because what they are saying is he is worthy being the lamb, but he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of all worship. So because of what they do here and because of what is done in verses 13 and 14, either this is idolatry or it is not. <laughs> there is only one who is to be worshipped and that is God and God alone. If Jesus is not the Son of God, 
And with God the Father there sitting on the throne, the one who sits on the throne, if, God, if Jesus is not God, then God the Father, wouldn't he have stopped this, this idolatry going on that they would fall down to anybody else except him? Proving <laughs> once again, and you could share this with anybody that says, oh, Jesus is not God. It's like, oh no, in heaven he is being worshipped in front of the, the one who sits on the throne. This is huge. Proving once again that the Lamb is worthy to be praised. Because the elders, the, the, the creatures, they all fall down. And they bow down. And they prostrate themselves before the Lamb. Because he is one with the Father. He is God. And he is worthy to be praised. And each one, it says, was, has a harp. And I think this is where we get the idea that we all you know, run around heaven with harps, which isn't a bad thing, you know. I mean, it's just kind of playing it. Ooh. It's like, man, I'm going to love it, man. I really don't ha- have any musical, you know, um, talents except beating on a box every once in a while. <laughs> Maybe they might give me a box of that. I don't know. Probably go in the corner and play your little box. But no, we get, we get to play these stringed instruments. One, one of the translations did call it a guitar. It's like, yeah, whatever. I've always wanted to play a guitar. Once we get to heaven, we'll do that. But what it really also shows me is that God is okay with instruments. <laughs> and I believe it's really loud up there, too. Maybe because I love it when it's loud. But there's some churches, man, that say, oh, no, no instruments. No instruments on the stage. And it's like, really? I just kind of see harps all over the place. Maybe guitars. And then the prayers of the saints. That's what these guys are carrying. These golden bowls full of incense with the prayers of the saints. Now this does not mean that the four living creatures or the uh, 24 elders are, 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 are making intercessions for us. It does not mean that we pray to them so they can bring this, the prayers to God in any way, shape, or form. That's not what it means. Because we only have one mediator between us and God, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. The elders are symbolically presenting the prayers of the saints as a sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord. And His mighty creatures take these, these feeble prayers of ours at times from the earth and pour them out as a sweet fragrance between before God. I don't know about you, man, but sometimes, man, I just feel like my prayers don't even reach the ceiling. You're so distraught or you're just feeling like so unworthy. And yet he hears every prayer, man. He hears every one of our prayers. And they are put in golden bowls (laughs) somehow. And they are presented to God. And every one of your prayers reaches God. Every one of them. And you're saying, but he hasn't answered. Oh, yeah, he may may have already answered those prayers. He just said, wait, (laughs) You know, we often want, give me a yes, give me a no, but don't tell me wait. <laughs> and that's when we feel like, Lord, I don't think you're, you're hearing my prayers. No, he does. Right here it tells us that these prayers of the saints are brought before the Lord. Every prayer of ours are special before God. And then in verses 9 through 10, they began to sing a new song. And here we have the 24 elders and maybe even the four living creatures who join in to sing a new song that has never been sung before. And you're going, but the lyrics are right there. (laughs) 
It shows us what it is. Well, it hasn't been sung yet like that. <laughs> because nobody until then, until this instance, has been worthy to take the scroll. In the last chapter, the theme was, you are worthy because you have, been, you have created all things. And here, uh, speaking of God the Father, and the theme here is you are worthy because you were slain. Speaking of the Son. The word redeem means to take or to go to market and purchase or to buy. And this song honors the price of redemption for you were slain. The worker of redemption have redeemed us. The destination of redemption to God, the payment of redemption by your blood, the scope of redemption, every tribe and tongue and people and nation and the length the length of redemption has made us kings and priests to God and the result of redemption is that we shall reign on the earth with Jesus. As believers, we are now, as God sees us, kings because of the royal birth into the family of God and our destination is to reign with Jesus Christ. And he also looks at us as priests because we don't have have to have any other mediator except Jesus Christ himself. To have full access to the throne room of grace. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then verses 11 and 12, he says, Then I looked... And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And man, can you imagine just this mob of people all over the place? And it almost looks like John's in the, in the middle of this competition hearing these guys in chapter or in verse 8 uh, singing a new song and then turning the other way and these angels that are innumerable that with a loud voice in unison in one accord in harmony, man. It is just blaring. Have you ever been to a place like, like, a, like the Angel Stadium where, where you know, you're at harvest and everybody is worshiping in unison? And man, it just sounds so epic, man. It's just so loud. And I'm thinking, man, that is so awesome. But I don't even think it comes close to what we're seeing here. And how it's just going to reverberate throughout all of heaven. The singing. Now, even though the angels cannot sing the new song because they were not redeemed... <laughs> they still are able to proclaim that the Lamb is worthy to be worshipped. The angels, they already see and experience what, what they proclaim about the Lamb, yet they've never received salvation, but they proclaim that He is worthy. And I wonder if the angels trip out on us. Those of us who have been redeemed, I wonder if they kind of look at us and say, I don't understand why you're not worshiping all the time, day and night, because you've been redeemed. We've seen it. We know what it's all about. And some of us is like, nothing. There is no worship. Our life is not 
a, a life of worship. And I'm wondering if they look and going, how is it that you're not proclaiming the praises of him who is worthy? Because we know what salvation is all about. We see the Lamb of God who, 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 who looks like he's been slain. They proclaim it. And they've never experienced it like me and you. And then at the end, these last two verses, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down before and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. This just doesn't mean the believer. It says every creature who has ever been created, every creature, from every possible place, from every single tongue, their sounds out, their rings out, the acknowledgement at last that Jesus is Lord of all. In Philippians 2, 9 and 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Notice there is not one dissenting voice here. Everybody will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Hmm. God has placed into the hands of men the decision as to whether or not Jesus will be their Savior. He has, he has placed that into the hands of men to make that decision. But the decision to call him Lord, whether you like it or not, will be acknowledged one day. You may not call him Savior, but one day, if you are not a believer, you will bow down and call him Lord, like I said in, Phil in Philippians 2. That's not your decision to make. <laughs> Oh, we can make it right now and bow down and call him our Savior and call him our Lord. But every knee will bow. Every knee. Under he in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every creature will acknowledge that fact. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, every creature will bow down. So, you can do it willingly <laughs> because you love him and you understand the salvation that he, he has given to you and you can worship him. Or you can do it forcefully one day. It's up to you. It truly is up to you. With this last verse, there is no doubt, once again, because they all fall down to, to worship. Without a doubt, tells us that the Lamb is equal with God and is God. Because if Jesus Christ is not God, this would be idolatry that's happening in heaven. And God the Father will have none of that. <laughs> and so we know that Jesus is God because God the Father is watching all of this happen. So where are you at this morning? 
Where are you at? Do you worship willingly? Do you bow down willingly because he has saved you? Because he, he has brought you to a place of, 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 of buying you back? <laughs> Do you worship him willingly? Or are you one of those who one, will one day have to bow your knee and worship? It's all up to you. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. This morning we're going to partake in communion, which represents what Jesus has already done. He came to this earth, made himself a man. He put on human flesh, and, and, and his own creation beat him. His, his own creation hit him with the fist, <laughs> broke him up, tore him apart, shed his blood. That's what man did to him, his own creation. And you see, communion will mean nothing to you if you're not a born-again Christian. It means nothing to you. And I encourage you, don't even come up and take communion, man. You'll make a mockery out of it. But if you are a believer, understand this. What, what this is representing is what he has done for you and for me. And you've received it. You've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Everything that happened to him on the cross, before the cross and on the cross, was for your sake. You were the one that was supposed to be crucified. But he took your place instead. Because he was worthy to pay the price. Not you, not me. We're not worthy even to, pay, to, to save ourselves. But he did. Isn't that amazing? And so we're going to have some worship in a little bit. And man, put yourself in that situation of going, wow, Lord, you saved me. All of this for me. And then just enjoy communion. Just you and Jesus. Just you and your family around you or your friends around you. If you want to go grab your kids so they can join in in communion with you, go and grab your kids and say, hey, man, we're going to partake as a family. But if you're not a Christian, man, what an opportunity you have this morning to be able to say at this moment, I need Jesus in my life. And so partaking in communion, you're, 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 you're saying he died on my behalf and I want to worship him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we want to thank you that you are the one that sits on the throne. You, Father, are worthy to be praised, to be honored, to be glorified. You have created all things, and we, your creation, get to worship you. And even as we've read this morning, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world is worthy to be praised is worthy to be worshipped and honored because He paid the price so that we can be saved. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you were obedient to put on human flesh, to become like a man and suffer at the hands of your creation. Thank you that you didn't stop. You went all the way. You paid the price so that we can have salvation for eternity. Lord, the, the Bible tells us that you came because you love the world and you want all to be saved. And whoever believes on you will not perish but have everlasting life. And so I pray for anyone in this room right now, Lord, who doesn't know you, that this morning they have gotten another glimpse of what heaven looks like and what is happening there. 
And Lord, we get to worship you willingly. But I pray for that person that's here right now. And Lord, they have the decision to call you Savior. And they have the decision right now, Lord, to make. And so I pray for them. I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you're sitting there and you realize that you don't know Jesus, you don't have Jesus in your heart and in your life, you know that. You see other people around you and you go, that's a Christian, I am not. And so I, I'm not asking you if, you if you've fallen away. Man, repent. If you're a Christian already and you've just kind of been at that, that, that dry spell, just right now where you're at, just pray and ask God to forgive you so that you could come and partake of communion. But I'm asking you if you've never asked Jesus into your life to just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Is there anyone? Not if you're a Christian already. Man, if there's anyone right now because of that, nobody raising their hand, every one of you is saying, I am a believer. Guys, come and enjoy the Lord's table. Commune with Him. Be thankful for what He has done in your life. That He has changed you, not just here, but for all of eternity. Father, thank You for my brothers and sisters. I pray Your blessing upon them that they spend this time with You in worship as they spend this time in communion with one another. Father, bless them, I pray. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.